might need this. <laughs> Thanks. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 25, but focusing on chapter, I mean, verse 21. I'll never forget the Christmas of 1978. My brother had been diagnosed with schizophrenia about three years earlier. He didn't live with my parents. He would come home on holidays. I was in the Air Force. I was still a non-Christian, and I would come home too on holidays. So. My brother was visiting, I was there, and the rest of the family was there. And I think at that point, my mom was the only Christian in the family. And my brother's visits were normally short without much controversy, but this year was going to be different. This was going to be the year that my brother didn't like Christmas. You see, our, our family celebrates Christmas mainly on Christmas Eve. We have the turkey and all the glorious side items and the cakes and everything else on Christmas Eve. And then after cleaning up, we would go from the kitchen to the Florida room and we'd go in there, pass out the presents, and then begin opening them one by one. And that's when the fireworks began. My mom was sitting in front of my brother, I was sitting behind him, and he opened up his first present, he looked at it, and he said, what the heck is this for? And he didn't say heck, and he threw it across the room. Well, you know, I sat there like, what? And then he opened up the second present and said the same thing, what the heck is this for? And threw it across the room. Well, by that time, I was thinking, oh my goodness, my brother is going to destroy Christmas. And I'm thinking, that's what my mom's thinking too, right? Well, I looked over at her, and her head was down. And she was kind of going like this, you know? And she wasn't praying. What she was doing was trying to hold back a laugh. Um, it cracked her up. And it wasn't, she wasn't laughing at my brother. She was just laughing at the situation. Um, and, and it made me want to laugh, right? And I, I wondered later on, how could my mom do that? How could my mom have joy? How could my mom have joy in a stressful situation like that? You know, how could she laugh at a trial when most people would think, you know, my Christmas is being destroyed? My Christmas is being destroyed. Well, unlike my brother, who did not receive gifts very well that year, my mom had received the greatest Christmas gift ever given a few years before that. And she knew because of that gift that she could face any trial 
knowing that what she had received would be never taken away from her. And I want to look at that gift this morning. And let's look at that in these verses, 18 through 25. This is the Word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Can you imagine being Joseph in this situation? Here's a young man who's about ready to marry a woman, and he finds out she's pregnant. Finds out she's pregnant. What's he going to do? What a difficult trial for this person to be in, right? And instead of getting angry, instead of wanting to, in a sense, get even with her because of her sin against him, he instead, being a righteous man, wants to divorce her quietly. And notice in verse 19 it says, he didn't want to disgrace her. He loved her. And that's why he wanted to do that. And at this point in the story, an angel sent from God comes to intervene. And he comes to help Joseph see beyond his present circumstances, to th see things from a divine perspective. And many times when we face trials in our lives, like Joseph, we can only see from a limited human perspective. And God many times wants to reveal that our trials have a greater purpose that we need to understand. Joseph, in this dream, is given the divine perspective of why Mary was pregnant. He is given, in one sentence, the meaning of Christmas and the meaning of Easter. Look at verse 21 again. It says, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The message from the angel to Joseph is this child is to bring the gift of salvation to his people. And the first thing that I want to look at this morning is this gift was a planned gift. This gift was a planned gift. Take notice of what's going on here. 
Joseph is making a plan. It even says that in verse 19. He was making a plan. And the plan was to deal lovingly with Mary. But God has another plan. And God has been planning this plan since the beginning of time. And he tells Joseph through this angel that, what Mary, that Mary's pregnancy was not a result of adultery. And it was not an accident. It's God's plan of intervening into this world through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the incarnation of His only begotten Son. A few years ago, I gave Denise, I think, one of the best presents I ever did, if I do say so myself. And the reason why it was a great gift is it was a planned gift. It was a planned gift. We were out shopping. We were out shopping, and it was a couple weeks before Christmas, and we saw a painting that she loved, and I looked at it, and I loved it too. And then I kind of made an excuse. I said, ah, it's too expensive. And so we walked away. And then I came back the next day and bought that. And then went to Hobby Lobby, uh, had it framed, had it mounted, um, and then had uh, a stenographed message put underneath the photo. And this took, you know, a couple weeks for them to do all that. And then I even wrapped it myself, you know? Can you believe that? So when she opened that present, she loved it. Why? Because it took so much planning. It showed so much love by planning for her. And that's what God did for us in the gift of his son. You know, it was a planned gift. It wasn't haphazardly given. You know, some theologians think that the church is plan B. That Israel was plan A. And then when Israel failed, God went to plan B. The redemption of the church. That's not true. The gift of redemption has always been God's plan for his people. John 6, 37, I preached on that about six months ago. All that the Father give me, this is Jesus speaking, Jesus is speaking, he says this, all that the Father give me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. What is God saying there? He's saying all that I give to Jesus will become believers. When did this plan take place? Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. These verses show that the gift of salvation wasn't an afterthought. It was a plan of God ever since the beginning of time, and he planned on saving his people, which shows how much God loves us and loves his church. Look also at this plan. Look at verse 23. Jonathan was talking about this. Um, look at 23. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This was a prophecy of Isaiah about Jesus being born from a virgin, right? 700 years 
before his birth. 700 years. That was part of the plan. Look over at chapter 2, verse 6. It says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So here we see in chapter 2 another prophecy that Jonathan was talking about from Micah. Guess how many years that was? 700 years before Christ. 700 years. Now here's the amazing thing. I noticed this the other day. I was looking at Luke 2, seeing how it corresponds with Matthew 1, you know, the Christmas story, looking at Luke 2, and I'm thinking, here Jesus, uh, Mary became pregnant with Jesus in Nazareth, right? Nazareth is 70 miles from Bethlehem. Now who, in their right mind, would take their pregnant wife in their ninth month of pregnancy and travel 70 miles to Bethlehem if you didn't have to, right? That wouldn't be a wise thing to do. You might end up on the couch for a month or two, right? Why did they go to Bethlehem? God didn't tell them to go, did he? We don't see that. You know why they went? If you look in Luke 2, you don't have to look there. Caesar Augustus makes a decree that a census would be taken. They had to go. They had to go. And that was part. Think of this. The Caesar Augustus, the ruler over all the nations, over Rome. Guess who got him to do that? It was part of God's plan. God is the one who rules. And God is the one who planned this wonderful gift for us, which shows his love for the church. Well, not only was it a planned gift, but it was a free gift. Look at verse 21 again. It says, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice it says, He will save his people. John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus here is drawing a line in the sand, and he's saying this, I am the only way. I am the only... And notice this, it's Jesus saying this, it's not me, okay? He's saying, I am the only way, I am the only Savior, no other religion, just me. You can't even save yourself. He says, you can't save yourself. I'm the only way. Heaven is a free gift. It cannot be earned or deserved by you. It can only be earned by Christ for you. For you. Now many of you may be thinking at this point, no duh, Mark. You know, in the idea of a gift, yeah, usually gifts are free. Usually gifts are free. But if that, if that idea is so simple, then why do so many people get it wrong? Let me explain this. James Kennedy wrote a book, Evangelism Explosion, years ago. James Kennedy died, I think, last year, um, or a few years ago. 
But James Kennedy wrote this book, Evangelism Explosion. Um, I studied this book way back in 1980-something. Um, great book. Great book on giving the gospel. And in this, David even used it a couple weeks ago, I think. In this, in this, he asked two questions to a person that he's presenting the gospel to. And, and he says, listen to this, and I found it's true. 90% of the people he's asked this question to get it wrong. 90% of the people. And you know what I found? Same is true. Every time I ask that question, 90% get it wrong. Who claim to be Christian. Now here's the question. And I want you to answer this question in your mind. Don't shout it out, okay? Answer the question in your mind. Listen to this. It says, if you were to die today and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Think of, think of the answer. What would you say? 90% of the people say, I've led a good life. I go to church. I read my Bible. I tithe. I pray. 90% of the people say that. 90% of the people believe in the teeter-totter theory. You know what the teeter-totter theory is? As long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm good. I'm good to go. As long as I have 99.9%, .9%, listen to this, even if you had 99.9% .9 goodness over here and only had one sin over here, you know, guess what? That wouldn't pay for that one sin you would still be guilty enough to go to hell. It takes an infinite God, the infinite God-man, to satisfy God's justice. It takes the infinite God-man, the incarnation, to satisfy God's justice. Well, not only is it a free gift, it's a guaranteed gift. It's a guaranteed gift. You know, I've told you guys this before. If I could do all of my Christmas shopping, you know where I do it at? Lowe's. You know why? Well, Denise probably wouldn't appreciate it, getting a weed eater for Christmas. But um, you know why I'd want to do all my Christmas shopping at Lowe's? is because they have the best guarantee ever. I mean, I bought stuff there six months earlier, uh, let it sit in my garage, and then taken it back, and they've given me my money back. Amazing guarantee. But you know who has a greater guarantee than that? God does. Look at, look at 21 again. It says, He will save His people from their sins. He will. God's message through the angel about the gift of salvation would be given to His people and it's no doubt that it would be given. In fact, in fact, um, for many, for many, they believe that Christ came to give the potential of salvation to everybody. But this verse doesn't say that. Does this verse say that? It doesn't say he came to give the potential of salvation. It says he came to save his people. No doubt. Guaranteed, right? 
That's what John 6.37 says. I just read it. All that the Father give me will come to me. John 10, 27 and 28 says this, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. you hear that? When you come to Christ, no one can snatch you out of God's hand. Well, not only is this gift guaranteed, it's also an eternal gift. I remember when I was a kid, on Christmas morning, I would go to the stocking, and you know what I would find in my stocking? Everybody's thinking coal, right? No, it wasn't coal, it was a paddle. <laughs> That's even worse, right? It was a small paddle. Now, most of you, unless you're over 50, remember this. But it was a small paddle with a rubber band connected to it and a red ball. Anybody remember that? How many remember that? Oh, okay. A lot of people. Well, that gift, you'd start hitting it, right? And it would last about 10 minutes. And then the rubber band would break. And then we'd be hitting the ball all over the floor room, my brother and I. Um, wasn't a good gift, right? Didn't last that long. 10 minutes. But you know what? Most of the gifts that we received a kid, as kids didn't last too long. But you know what? The same is true for us as adults. Most of the gifts that we receive as adults don't last too long. You know, I saw my favorite commercial again during the football games last night. Um, I tell you this almost every year. Um, it's the Lexus commercial, and the, the husband, no, th this time it was the wife taking the husband out to the front yard. There's a gray Lexus in the front yard in the snow with a big old red bow on it, okay? Um, and she's giving him a Lexus, and he's going, yay, right? He's all excited. But let me ask you this. How long does that excitement last? Till the first car payment comes, right? <laughs> And then you go, what was I thinking? Um, till the first car payment, till the first scratch, till the car breaks down, um, then you have to take it to the you know, Lexus place. and um, Or and to, let's, say, let's say an amazing thing happens. Let's say the car doesn't get a scratch, you take care of it, it's wonderful, and it lasts 40 years. And then finally, you take it to the dump. All the gifts of this world don't last. They don't last. The only gift that lasts is the gift that Christ gives us. The only gift that lasts is the one that Christ gives us. And that gift lasts for not only this lifetime, but for all eternity. And not only is it a gift that lasts it's a gift that satisfies. Augustine said this, St. Augustine said this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Well, this gift is not only eternal, but it's also an extravagant one. How many of you have ever received a Lexus for Christmas? Any hands? <laughs> Uh, a diamond ring. 
A house. You know what? I don't care what you've received. Um, there's nothing more extravagant that's given than the gift that we have been given as believers. And this gift is the ultimate gift of forgiveness. Look at verse 21 again. It says, save his people from their sins. Simple, right? Save, their pe save his people from their sins. Have you ever thought about that? You know, many times I think as Christians we take it for granted that God has wiped the slate clean. We need to remind ourselves of that daily, not just at Christmas, that God has wiped the slate clean. That he's taken away all of our sin, not just the past, but the present and even the future. Psalm 103, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's an infinite distance. Micah 7, 19 says, You will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. God has given us an extravagant gift, the gift of salvation. And not, not only has he forgiven the sins of commission, but what's implied in this is he's forgiven even the sins of omission. Think about that. We are called to love. Jonathan talked about this. We are called to, or Michael talked about it. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves perfectly. How many of you have done that? No hands? That's what the incarnation is all about. That's why Christ had to come. Because we couldn't love our neighbors perfectly. Christ had to come for us to love his neighbors perfectly in our place. He did it for us. So that all of our sins, when we come to Christ and put our faith and trust in him, when we turn from our sins, he takes all of our sins and puts them upon Christ. And he takes all of his righteousness and puts it upon us so that we walk away perfect and holy and pure every second of every day after we come to know Christ. Well, look back at this passage. What should be our response to that amazing extravagant, wonderful gift. What should be our response? Look at verse 24 and 25. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. What was Joseph told by the angel? Mary's going to have a baby. And it's through the Holy Spirit. And she's still a virgin. Can you imagine being told that? 
And what did Joseph do? He worshiped God. Now, you don't see that in the passage, but that's what he did. Because he took God at his word. He believed him. He believed his word, and then what did he do? He obeyed. He acted on it. Wow. And you know, that kind of reminds me of Abraham. What did Abraham do? He was told, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a son at 100 years old. And what did he do? He believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Think of Noah. Noah. The, the world's going to be flooded because of the evilness of the world. And, and, and you're going to build an ark. He hadn't even seen rain yet. What did he do? He believed God. And he built the ark. That's what we see Joseph doing here. Believing God and obeying him is worship. Is worship. In closing, how does your life reflect the gift that you've been given? How does your life reflect the gift that's been given? Is it a life of worship? Is it a life of thankfulness? Is it a life of obedience? Not perfection of your life, but the direction of your life. Has it changed? Now, I know there's some this morning who struggle with Christmas. You struggle because of past Christmases. You know, you struggle because of maybe the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of physical health. And you look back at Christmases before, the loss with great joy. And now, in the present, you have sorrow. How is a person to live a life of worship when each Christmas reminds you of pain? Well, the answer is to look to the present. Look to the present. And I'm not talking about the present tense. I'm saying look to the gift that you've been given. You have been giving, given a wonderful gift, an extravagant gift, a gift that nobody else could give you but the Son of God. And it's the forgiveness of sins. It's the righteousness that will satisfy God's justice. It's an amazing gift. How are you reacting to it? Joseph had a wonderful response to, to this gift. He had joyful obedience to the gift of Christ. Does your life reflect that? If it doesn't, Maybe you've never received this gift. Maybe you've never received the gift. And if that's true, then you need to cry out to God. You need to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, the only way I can come to you is through your forgiveness. It's through your righteousness and none of my own. That is the greatest gift. Christmas gift ever given. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, which helps us to see the true purpose of the incarnation.
Father, we thank you for giving us the gift of salvation through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to live lives of thankful obedience so that your glory may be seen by all who know us. Father, give us grace to keep focused on the present and not on the past so that our joy may be full in the gospel um, and so the gospel will go forth with power. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.